The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here. A grand slam home run. And this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Oh, what a week it has been. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Glad to have you along this evening as we kick back and talk about the previous week and the upcoming week for the Cleveland Indians, who are in first place in the American League Central, and the Cincinnati Reds, and we won't talk about where they are in the National League Central. But in order to do all of this, let's bring in our resident Reds expert from down south, as we do each and every week, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. How are you tonight? I'm great, Dave. And uh, can can you uh, congratulations to you and the Indians? You've survived another week in first place. And I'm, I, I think uh, it's it, it's getting down to the point now that uh, uh, you guys within the next couple of weeks can seriously begin looking into the playoffs as where you're going to be come October. And uh, I, I think the Indians have a chance if they go out and get just one more. I think they need one more bat, Dave. I don't know about you, but I think they're one bat away from kind of sewing up and then making a, a run deep into the playoffs. So I'm anxious to hear your comments about where the Indians are now. Well, you know, this Jan Gomes injury, we're going to get into this in a little bit, that that may spur the Indians on to do something that they weren't planning on doing as we head into the August 1st. Matter of fact, keep in mind, the trade deadline, for whatever reason, Mark, has been moved to August 1st this year, uh, and that is two weeks from today. So it should be a very interesting two weeks. Of course, the, the name being bandied around Cleveland is Jonathan Lucroy and, of course, Andrew Miller from the New York Yankees. And the Yankees right now are having some internal struggles, from what I understand. Maybe you've heard about this also. Hank Steinbrenner thinks the Yankees can still contend, while Brian Cashman thinks they need to be sellers at the trade deadline. Well, I heard an article this morning. I saw an article this morning on the local uh, Reds rumors type thing that Chapman is also uh, on the Indian shortlist that uh, they may go after Chapman as opposed to Miller. Now I don't know why they would pick one over the other, but uh, I, I think it could be that Chapman it may be a lot more expensive to sign after this year. So uh, that, that could be the case. But either way, if the Indians were to pick up Lacroix, uh, a Chapman, or a Jay Bruce, or any combination of those things, I think they really, honestly, God, I think they would be the odds on favorite to win the World Series. Mark, our lead story tonight, though, on the show has got to be the All-Star Game. The American League won again, third time in four years. They're going to host the World Series now based upon that victory. And that that leads me to the question that I want to start off tonight's show with, Mark. You know, this was a publicity stunt by Bud Selig about 10, 12 years ago that suddenly the All-Star Game would determine who's going to be the home field team in the World Series. With the players opting out of the All-Star game the way they are, with the way they've got the rules that if you pitch on Sunday, you're not allowed to pitch on Tuesday in the All-Star game. You know, I think this All-Star propaganda thing, as far as hosting the All-Star or the, the World Series, being the home, getting the home field advantage in the, the World Series, has outlived, if it ever had any usefulness, it's outlived its usefulness now. I disagree. I, I think if you look at the other all-star games with the other major sports, hockey, football, basketball, they're they're a joke. Uh, the NBA all-star game is nothing more than guys running up and down the court dunking. There's no defense. It doesn't mean anything. It's lost its its oomph. The dunk contest is is so boring now. I mean, okay, everybody can dunk. You got it? Uh, try something different. Uh, the same with the football game. Nobody goes out there and comes across the middle during an all uh, football game, all star game, uh, because you can get get your head taken off. So they're not going to risk injury. So that it, that reduces the, the level of play. 
I think the baseball all-star team, Major League Baseball, has created an environment where that game does mean something. And they, they play to win it, and they don't play everybody. They, they play players who can contribute in, in the right spot. So I disagree. I, I think this is one thing that Bud Selig did right, and I don't agree with much of what he did. But I think the All-Star game does mean something. It means something to the players. And, you know, I, I think when you look at the, how the impact on the World Series, it is very significant. And that makes that game important. And it, I think it's a fair way to judge home field, and it, it, it makes the, the roster selection different. So I disagree. I, I think it's uh, pretty good the way it is. What was that name of that uh, little segment that they used to do on 60 Minutes, Point, Counterpoint? Yes. Mark, yes. you ignorant slut. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, actually, he said, Jane, you ignorant, misguided <laughs> slut. Well, I, I cannot believe that you're taking that attitude toward the All-Star game. If you're going, I, I have no problems with them saying, okay, let's continue doing it the way it is, but if they're going to do it, then let's cut out the fact that these teams have to have one All-Star representative from each team. Let's cut out the fact that the best pitchers that they pitch on Sunday can't pitch on Tuesday. Let's quit forgiving these guys that want to take the day off just because they've got some minor aches and pains. If we're going to make this thing the way that they want to make it, where this game means something, then let's get the best players in the best position to for these teams to either win it or lose it, and let's not have ploys like we did last night where Jose Fernandez said he was going to groove three pitches right down the middle of the plate to David Ortiz, and then Terry Miller, the manager of the Mets and manager of the National League, puts him in a position to do it. And then the second thing that they do is you've got all these players that want to back out. Quite honestly, Mark, I can't see why, and I'm going to throw this up, I can't see why a player from the Cincinnati Reds in Adam Duvall or Jay Bruce, can have any determination in who should be the home team in the World Series? Well, first of all, it's not a problem of not enough players. It's a problem of too many players. You have a lot of players who are qualified to be on the All-Star team. And so the, the, the talent level, it, it, you know, when you pick the first, the, the starting eight on each of those teams, these guys are all you know, maybe Hall of Famers. They're that good over their career. So there's no shortage of talent, especially when you're trying to round out the, the 29th and 30th player on that roster. So I don't think it's a matter of getting the good talent. It's there. And I just like the idea of, the yeah, you might have an exception where Ortiz, after a brilliant career, he's going to get groove three fastballs. But they wouldn't do that if the game was on the line. They wouldn't. And that game was not on the line. And so I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. But I think it's better than having them go out there and you have all this hullabaloo and, you know, the starting right fielder who could be, you know, a MVP candidate, he gets, he gets in at bat and he sits down and then they bring somebody else in. Uh, they tried to, both teams tried to win that game. And uh, in, in my opinion, it does mean something. It's had an impact on the World Series the last three or four years. So I, I, you, you, I disagree with you on this one. I, I think it's, it's pretty good the way it is. Can you make it better? Of course, you, you can make anything better. But I don't know how you bring value and interest to that game unless it means something. And that's what I think they've done. It, 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 it does mean something. And as a National League fan... I don't like the outcome of the last several games or several years, but you go back, what, 1937, the first All-Star game? I think the American League trails the National League by two games or three games, something like that. It's been very even over the, and each league has gone through periods of time where they've dominated, like they've won nine, ten, eleven games in a row. So this is an ebb and flow type thing about who wins, but in terms of structure, I think it's pretty good. Mark, both teams this week, the Reds and the Indians, they only had three games because of the All-Star break, but they both went two and one. Before we get into the Reds, I want to talk about this injury to Jan Gomes because I think it could have a lasting effect 
upon what the Indians are going to do over the next two weeks. Mark, up until this injury, I thought the Indians would shy away from going after a bat. I figured what they would do is Michael Brantley's on a rehab assignment. They want him to get through three consecutive games back-to-back-to-back before they decide whether or not he's ready to come to the major league level and play left field full-time. When you get a bat, Mark, the quality of the way Michael Brantley has hit over the past few years, I think he's better than anybody that's available out there. And you're getting back for nothing. So to go out and trade for a bat when you've got Michael Brantley ready to come off the DL, I think it's a waste of your, your talent in the minor leagues. Now, that being said... This injury to Jan Gomes, even though he was batting 160, and the ironic thing about this is, Mark, the Indians on Saturday pulled a Joe Boo ceremony that they did in Major League where they brought in a rubber chicken and sacrificed it at the feet of Jan Gomes and because he had three line drives on Friday night in the game uh, this weekend that, that they had in Minnesota. And they were all right at people. And this is the way that the season has gone for him. Then he comes up the first time on Sunday, gets a double, and the second time is when he gets hurt as he was tripped up trying to avoid a tag at first base. And it flipped him over and he landed on his right shoulder and dislocated his shoulder. He's now on the 15-day DL, so they'll bring up Roberto Perez, who was trying to make himself back from a thumb injury from earlier. They didn't want to bring him up, Mark, for another week, but they've been forced to bring him back. This injury, I think, is going to really dictate what the Indians do, and I think it puts into prevalence more this Jonathan Lucroy trade that they've been talking about with Milwaukee, him and Will Smith coming to the Indians for Tyler Naquin, Bradley Zimmer, and a combination of other minor leaguers. And I, I think Will Smith would be a good addition to the Indian staff as a left-handed reliever. Jonathan Lucroy, definitely, you've seen him more than I have, but, you know, he's, he's on pace to have almost a career year this year. And he's a good defensive catcher, too. Yeah, I saw him play this weekend. I saw all three games against Cincinnati. And uh, I think he would be a great addition to Cleveland. And I think he could be the missing piece for you. That would be a very interesting move if the Indians could get him. You know, the thing that bothers me, Mark, is I think Tyler Naquin is the American League Rookie of the Year. Now, the Detroit announcers, I heard them this weekend, uh, they're they're promoting Michael Fulmer, their right-handed starter, as American League Rookie of the Year. I don't think there is a rookie in the American League this season that has done more than Tyler Naquin. He's got 10 home runs. He's got a 315 batting average. He's played excellent defensive center field since the first week of the season where he, he misjudged a couple of fly balls. But, Mark, if we can pick up a guy like Luke Roy and Will Smith, I think the Indians have got to roll the dice on this. There are certain years uh, where a team has a chance to win the World Series. And this is the year for the Indians. And I think they should do everything and anything they can to make that happen. You know, I look back at the 1997 season, Mark, when the Indians, at the trade deadline, they were proposed a deal for Pedro Martinez, who at that point in time was with the Montreal Expos. John Hart turned it down. It was Jarrett Wright and another minor leaguer, for Pedro Martinez. Now, the Indians almost won the World Series that year, if you recall. They they lost it in seven games to the then Florida Marlins, who are now the Miami Marlins. And that was the last time they've been to the World Series. I think if this current ownership, Chris Antonetti, look at that year and say, that is a year that the Indians probably could have won the World Series had they pulled the trigger on a deal like that. They've got to use that as an example and go ahead and pull the trigger. I do, too. And it's not too soon to be thinking about actually the World Series for the Indians. And uh, th- this is a team that can win. It really can win. And so that's, that's, a, that's a different mindset than I think we might be able to win. And that, that's what you've got to take into the playoffs, Mark. You've got to go into the playoffs knowing that you can win. And the thing that bothers me the most about this Indians team is not their hitting. 
It's not their defense, even though the defense does bother me a little bit. It's the bullpen. And they need to get, I think that's got to be their primary focus, Mark. Even if they don't get Lucroy and they have to go through the rest of the regular season and the playoffs with Perez and Catcher and Chris Jimenez, I think their primary focus has got to be they've got to bring in at least one reliever, hopefully a left-handed reliever, and another right-handed reliever. And that's what their primary focus has to be now. Mark, let's move along to the Reds. The one thing, I watched the Reds game on Saturday. I had the opportunity to see Jeff Lamb uh, pitch on Saturday. And then, of course, he was immediately demoted to Louisville on Sunday. I was concerned about two things in the game that I watched on Saturday, that, that loss to Milwaukee, and it was a bad loss. Not only the the velocity that Lamb was throwing his curveball with, but the attitude that the Reds had in that game on Saturday, Mark, it was apathetic to me. It was almost like they really didn't care to be out on the field. That's what scares me about uh the young players that are on that team right now is picking up that kind of attitude. And what people don't understand with, with this year is the depth of, of the Reds. This team is not just last in the, the National League. Uh, they have the third worst record in baseball. Only Minnesota and Atlanta have worse records, and the Reds, I think, will finish dead last. But let me give you some numbers, Dave, that put this in perspective. Uh, the Reds as a team, are last in hitting with a two thirty seven batting average. Now, how bad is that? Well, they trail the Boston Red Sox by 52 points. <laughs> 52 points. Boston's averaging 289 and Cincinnati 237. That's bad. Yet, you could have a team that would have outstanding pitching that could overcome that. So let's look at the pitching. The Reds are also last. Now, I'm talking about Major League Baseball. They're the 30th team in hitting out of 30 teams. They're also the 30th, 30 team, uh, 30th team in ERA, 542 team ERA. The team that is 29th, the second worst team, the Reds have a half a run more per game than Denver. Denver's 498. The Reds are 542. Now, those are incredibly bad numbers. So you're worst in hitting, you're worst in pitching, and then you look at defense. They're 27th in defense. So they're not just a team, a good team playing poorly. They're not just a team having an aberration of a year. This team right now is historically bad. It, it may be mythically bad by the time the season is over. They did win two out of three coming out of the All-Star break, but they played a team that is not much better than them, but better. And uh, Milwaukee is not a great team. And they they have Milwaukee or uh, Atlanta coming in tonight for three games. So the Reds could win, you know, maybe four or five of their first six games coming out of the break. But I predict this team is going to be – losing well over 100 games this year. I've said that all year. And if they don't lose 100, it's going to be real close. They're going to lose 97, 98, 99 games absolutely for sure. The question is, is this going to be an historically bad team? But when you look at the future for this team, that is what scares everybody in and around Cincinnati who are Reds fans. There is, David, there's simply there's no hope. There's no help on the horizon. John Lamb, the guy that got from Kansas City in the trade for, for Cueto, this guy wouldn't make a double-A team if he went to a tryout. His fastball is 79 to 82 miles an hour. And his curveball, I mean, major league hitters will kill that stuff. Uh, he, he's one of the linchpins, supposedly, for the future of this team. But go look at their triple-A and their double-A and their single-A players the deals they have made have been horrifically and historically bad. There was an article this morning in the paper uh, on the Internet about the Yankees trading Chapman and what they're going to get for a role as Chapman. They're expecting a top 20 or 30 player. That, that's the prediction. That's what they would get for Chapman. The Reds got guys who are still in A-ball getting killed. 
So they give away arguably the best relief pitcher in baseball, and they gave him to the Yankees for nobody. And now the Yankees are going to take the same player and pick up a tremendous prospect, probably a first or second round prospect. That's the kind of decision making that has put the Reds where they are today. And unlike the Indians, who have really a tremendous, you, you look over the next four or five years, the Indians are going to be very, very competitive in the foreseeable future. And the Reds are going to be very, very bad for the foreseeable future. And that's what's aggravating to Reds fans, that this and you, should not happen. You mentioned earlier about the Twins. And the Twins today fired their GM, Terry Ryan. And, you know, it wasn't much more than two years ago, Mark, that people were lifting this up and lauding Terry Ryan as one of the best GMs in baseball. And because the team has really gone downhill, much like the Reds have done, the Twins have been proactive and gotten rid of Terry Ryan, while the Reds have not even been reactive and getting rid of Walt Jockety. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've been kidding. I said he has pictures of uh, Bob Castellini. I, I don't know what, how else to explain it, Dave. It is, uh, Bob Castellini is a brilliant businessman. Uh, he, he's a competitive guy. How he got himself into this jockety corner and refuses to admit what has happened to this organization is beyond me. I don't understand it just not from a baseball perspective, a business perspective. This team has has really been torn apart, and, and it has not been reassembled. And I, I hear all this stuff about the great arms the Reds have, you know, in minor league baseball. Where are they? Robert Stevenson, his last four outings, has a six ERA. He's a Triple A. He's the he's the great hope for the Reds, and he's not playing well. And so, where do you finally say, hey, you know what, we screwed up? Uh, and either you change your strategy, and the way you change the strategy is, okay, we've saved money now by getting rid of Leak and Cueto and Latos and all the other pitchers we've gotten rid of. We're going to get rid of Jay Bruce, Cozart. What that means is you're going to have a lot of money. Now, you could continue this youth movement, but you could be doing what the Pirates did and be out of the playoffs for 21 consecutive years and have your attendance go down the toilet. Or you could take that money and say, okay, we're going to blend youth, but we're going to go sign some free agents. We're going to get some people in here who can pitch, and we're going to get some hitters who can hit. You, 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 you're at a fork in the road right now. Your plan right now to redo this team, it's not working. Find me a 300 hitter in the Reds minor leagues. Find me somebody who can come up and throw 99 miles an hour and, and, and be a stud in the bullpen. They, they, they don't have it. They don't have a starter ready to go. So do they have good talent? Yeah, but I, on, on a comparative basis to other teams, I mean, the Indians are competing. And I look at the numbers. The, some of the Indians' young guys are throwing up at the minor leagues, and they're, they're impressive. You've you got some guys in the minor leagues and you have a winning team. So that's what's depressing about what, where the Reds are right now. I, I don't see it, and I don't know anybody who does, that, that says, yeah, boy, by 2018 this team's going to be a competitor. Nobody's saying that. Well, and then yesterday, I thought the attitude of the Reds was completely different from the way it was on Saturday, which led me to believe, although nobody is saying anything, and I don't know if anybody in the media even asked Brian Price this question, but did he jump all over his team after Saturday's game, have a team meeting, and really lay into them? Because they, they seem to have a completely different attitude on Sunday. And Billy Hamilton scored the winning run on a wild pitch. Mark, the way he was celebrating after that game and the way the team was celebrating, I could have swore it was the 72 of playoffs again, and they won on a Bob Moose wild pitch. <laughs> Well, when you don't have many wins in a year, each one, I guess, is more valuable to you. I guess. And Billy Hamilton is an exciting player. He is. And he, well, the thing I like about Hamilton that I'm seeing is, number one, he, he is one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball right now. He really is. He's, an he's got a great arm for his size. He can really throw. He covers a lot of ground. He's fearless in the, in, in the field. 
if he just gets his batting average up 20, 25 points, he's going to be a tremendous asset to the Reds. But he he can't do it by himself. And when you look around, who is going to be on either side of him in left field? I think Duvall will be in left field. Jay Bruce is going to be gone. I don't know who you put out there. Uh, at second base, Brandon Phillips. I, I like Brandon Phillips. I always have. But he's hitting 260. He hasn't hit a home run in two and a half months. And his career is on the downside. And yet he's going to come back and play second base this year and next year. And it just... The Reds are afraid to make a decision to bench the guy or, or release him. They, they could put him on waivers, and I bet he'd be picked up and somebody would pick up a salary. But uh, they're afraid to make the, the, the final step in this process. But I, I don't think that depending on your draft choices, the kid they drafted this year, Nick Sensel, uh, who's in Dayton right now, he's hitting 313. Uh, he's off to a good start. But this kid isn't going to be ready for the big leagues for four or five years. Now, will he be you a think star? It'll take that long? What? Do you think it will take that long? I do. I think this is 2016. He'll be in double-A next year, triple-A the year after that. And, and maybe he gets up in the third year. But I'm, I'm talking about a kid who comes up, a young player that comes up, and he makes a major contribution. Normally... Young players don't come up that first year and make a contribution. And, you know, they, they play. They'll hit 240, 250. It takes, your, it takes a while to get your feet on the ground. So when does that number one pick come in and really begin to lead your team? It's, it's not going to be in two years. It won't be. Hopefully it'll be in three. So now we're talking 2019 before Sinzel is actually the player everybody hopes he's going to be. You, you cannot do it. You can't always go to the draft to say we're going to build this team unless unless you've got a 10, 12, 15 year plan. <laughs> you know where you you know in 10 years years we're going to be. Well, some of those players are in eighth grade right now or seventh grade you know, that you're that you're hoping to draft. So there, there has to be a blend of getting free agents, trading some of your players, getting good age, get players back, and the draft. Right now, the Reds are trying to do it all with young players, and I believe me. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Well, I'm trying to the be reason, objective, and I look and I don't see it. The reason I brought up yesterday's game, and the reason I brought up the fact that, you know, Brian Price, I, I the way I saw two different attitudes in two consecutive days, I just had to believe that Brian Price must have laid down the law to this team. But Buster Olney of ESPN came out last week, and I know he was talking with uh, Mo Egger about Brian Price's situation in Cincinnati. Mark, he said he's safe at least until the end of the year, if not next year. Well, he might be right. I mean, the reason he might be right is that I don't know that the Reds, yeah, you can always get somebody to come in and manage that team, you know, but you're not going to get a Joe Madden to come into Cincinnati. You won't. I mean, why would a would an experienced quality manager come into that situation? So yeah, I, I think you you would keep him on, in place. I don't know what Jim Ruggerman is going to do. Is he going to stay on as a bench coach again? Uh, so, uh, it, David, it's a very, I honestly, very Mark, I don't think there's anywhere. Situation. I'm a, I'm a, let, let's talk about Ruggerman for a second. I don't think there's anywhere in baseball that he can go. I honestly don't. The way that he handled the Washington situation, I think some of these teams have blackballed him for life. You may be right. You may be right. But is that the kind is that the kind of option you want? Or is that your only option to replace, replace Brian Price? What manager do you know that's in the major leagues now would opt to go to Cincinnati? Last in offense, last in defense, <laughs> last in pitching, and you're going to go – to that team? I think there are several managers that are on the fence right now towards losing the jobs that they're in that would be thankful if Cincinnati called them and offered the job to them next year. Yeah, but if they're, if they're doing a bad job managing a bad team, why would the Reds go there? <laughs> well, well, I if, agree. I don't even know who's managing well, the Twins right now or the Braves. But would you, if you're... If you're uh, the ownership of Cincinnati go to those team managers and say, yeah, come over here. 
Mark, I can't believe that Terry Collins is on the hot seat with the Mets. He took them to the World Series a year ago, and because their pitching is decimated this year, they're not going to make the playoffs, but yet I'm hearing Buster only say that Terry Collins is on the hot seat. Well, I think Terry Collins is a, is a dope. I mean, I've heard him speak before. Well, I have I too, fe- but that, that's another thing. He fell into a great situation with that pitching staff last year. They went to the World Series, yeah. Uh, that that can happen, but I'm, you know, with the Reds situation, you'd have to go into the to minor leagues to get a manager to come into that situation. Yeah, there's plenty of minor league managers that like to go to big leagues, and they'd go to Cincinnati for sure. But you know, when when the Cubs went and got Joe Madden from Tampa, he saw the writing on the wall. He said, you know what? I look at this minor league system. Wow. This team is going to be great for a long time. Count me in. No good manager is going to look at the Reds organization and their their financial situation and the farm system, where they are now, and say, yeah, I'm going to leave X and go to the Reds. Nobody. Well, because the name that you brought it, up, a chance to Mark, win. You, you brought up the name a few months ago, even last year, that I'm hearing now more – it's being spread out, is Barry Larkin. Yeah. Yeah, That's Larkin is a hometown boy. He, you know, he might be the guy, and he's smart. He's managed. He's not managed professionally. He did manage the, uh, what was the Olympic team or the uh, one of the, one of the national, international teams uh, in America. So he, I'm sure he could do the job on the field. But uh, I, I don't know that he would jump into that uh, where they are now, and that may be the reason the Reds wouldn't do anything for the next year and a half and let Price do it and then bring Barry in at the end of next year. That would, that makes some sense. That, that would, that would make sense, you know, which leads me into what I've wanted to talk about for a couple of weeks and we've always run out of time. But with the RNC in Cleveland, traffic patterns being turned around, who the Republicans are going to nominate as president, we might as well talk about things that I think are screwy. And that is Terry Francona. Now, let me start off by saying this, Mark. I am not in any way, shape, or form advocating that the Indians fire Terry Francona. But I am concerned, and I have been concerned over the way that he manages this team for the last couple of years. I think Terry Francona is an Excellent manager of players. Let me say that right up front. I There may not be a better communicator with his players than Terry Francona. He's right up there, if not better, than Joe Madden. If he wins a World Series in Cleveland, Mark, he probably will be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame as a manager. That being said, what concerns me is... I really don't think Francona is a very good game tactician. I think when things are on the line, he doesn't think things through at at what he does. I think he leaves certain pitchers in for a long period of time. Let me just give two examples. I brought up the name Terry uh, Tyler Naquin earlier. Tyler Naquin in the game on Saturday night, which went 11 innings, and the Indians ended up losing it to Minnesota 5-4, to and it was a rain delay in the 11th inning, and I ended up going to bed and didn't see the end of the game. But in the 8th inning, Mark, Tyler Naquin was 2-3 for three in the ballgame. He's hitting three fifteen, and because the Twins brought in a left-handed pitcher, Francona decides he's going to pinch hit for Naquin with a right-handed Eric Hernandez. Now, Mark, I'm sorry, Gonzalez, Eric Gonzalez. It was Gonzalez's first at-bat for the Indians. He's a triple-A ball player. It's the first time they brought him up all year, Was just and he was there for one game. Why would you sit? I don't care if it's a lefty or righty, an ambidextrous pitcher or whatever. You're taking a left-handed bat that's hitting three fifteen on the year that's the prevailing favorite for the American League Rookie of the Year. He's hit 10 home runs on the year. For a guy that hasn't had a major league of bat all year, what is he thinking? And then in the ball game, in that same ball game, the Indians have a 4-2 to lead in the seventh inning. Trevor Bauer has already thrown 102 pitches, and he lets him go out and start 
the seventh inning. And he immediately gives up two base hits, and then he brings in the fire can out of the bullpen and Jeff Otero, and immediately the Indians, the game is tied at 4-4, and they end up losing it in 11 innings. There are things, Mark, that Terry Francona does, not only with his lineup, but in-game maneuvers, that make me sometimes wonder, what is this guy actually thinking? Well, I think the answer to that is he's in first place. And when you're in first place, and you have a team that can go to the World Series, you can make moves like that and people don't second guess it now if if that guy would have gotten a home run or a hit that rookie he would have been hailed a genius francona would have been and you would have said man what a what a brilliant move uh who knows dave i mean sometimes the guy that used to drive me nuts with his his moves was dusty baker i was a dusty baker fan but sometimes i would just pull my hair out i know enough about baseball to know some of the moves he made were just unexplainable and inexplicable. They really were. So we don't know in many cases injuries on the bench, uh, proclivities. I mean, maybe that uh, Naquin didn't have uh, experience hitting that kind of pitch. I don't know. There could be lots of reasons that Fracona would make that move. But I think you have to look at a manager's decisions in totality, how, how did they do it over the course of a year? Will there be things that I disagree with? Yes, absolutely. And I see that with Bruce all, or with um, Brian Price all the time. But with Francona, you look at the body of work and take out the anecdotal things that you might disagree with. I'll, I'll bet you, if you went back and looked at 100 moves he makes, I'll bet you're going to agree with 90 of them. And there might be, Maybe. you know, 10% of the moves. You, you think that, what the hell is he doing? Well, y- you know, that that's that's why he's a manager, I guess. He makes those kinds of moves. So I don't get hung up on, you know, what I call the Dusty Baker syndrome, who I thought made the most just head-scratching moves you could make. But overall, Dusty Baker has won a lot of baseball games, and he's a very good manager. Well, the one thing about it, remember Daryl Johnson, Boston Red Sox sure. manager? Yeah, They used to say about him, he's the only guy that could fall out of a tree and land on his feet. <laughs> and, you know, Terry Francona, yes, he's won a lot of baseball games. But I agree with you, same as Dusty Baker. I walk away from some of these games scratching my head. But I'll tell you what, Terry Francona, one thing about it, he will error on the side of a player more than anybody, but... For some reason, he has got an aversion towards playing rookies. And, and I, I don't know, this, this Naquin thing, I just don't understand what, what he's thinking. I mean, he just, he just does not want to put Naquin in the lineup all the time. Mark, something well, came was... out this morning. Pardon me? Go ahead. Something came out this morning that I wanted to talk to you about. Joe Torrey came out yesterday and told the managers... Shut up about the strike zone. Now, you and I have discussed this ad nauseum, but baseball every once in a while comes up with another reason to even talk about it more. You know, I know that baseball has taken the arguments pretty much out of the game with instant replay. But the the strike zone, over the last couple years, Mark, the strike zone for Major League Baseball has become somewhat of a comedy. You're right. And, you know, we talked about this last week about having, you know, computers be the strike zone. Uh, you could, you could have sensors coming out of the home plate. There'd be, there's a million ways to do it now with, with technology. And you would have a perfect strike zone. And I think, it's my opinion, that's where it's going. It, it will get there. They'll test it in the minor leagues. They'll do without umpires. And it, in the umpires themselves, I mean, the other night in the Reds game against the Brewers, when they got beat nine to was it nine to nothing, nine to one, um, there was a, a, a pitch that Lacroix swung and missed. He missed it. They showed the replay. Dave, he missed it by six inches. It wasn't close, and the umpire called it a foul tip. <laughs> and, yeah, and it, it was on. And apparently, he wouldn't ask for help. It wasn't. Re, it wasn't something you could uh, ask for a you know a replay on. So he refused to ask for help from the third or first base umpire, 
And on the next pitch, LaCroix hits a two-run home run, which really was the end of John Lamb. But when you make those kinds of egregious calls, it, it brings into relief how bad the subjectivity and the judgment of some of these umpires are. It, it's, it's, it's just an amazing thing that in Major League Baseball, they, they don't use what is available to them to make this game uh, and take out that third party, uh, that, that umpire, the indecision or the, or the lack of a sound decision. It's going to happen. It, it just it will happen. Mark, I was trying to remember. Joe Torre, did he manage four teams or just three? I know it was St. Louis, Atlanta Braves, the New York Yankees. Did he manage another team? Uh, did he manage the Mets? Yes, he did manage the Mets. All right, yeah, so he, he managed did. four teams. Yeah. Three of the four were terrible teams. He was not a good manager by by all sense of the imagination. He got the job in New York because George Steinbrenner thought he could push Joe Torre around more than anybody else that he had in a long time. And Joe Torre just sat on the bench. He 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 was hired in at a time mark where that team was just ready to win. And he was a guy that was great at handling Steinbrenner because he could be the buffer. Joe didn't do anything. And Joe sat on the bench, and like Greg Mitchell said this morning when I was talking to him about this, you know, Joe Torre looked like sometimes he was asleep on the bench managing the Yankees. Is that what he wants the managers to be in Major League Baseball now, just to sleep at the switch? Because, you know, quite honestly, Mark, I kind of like the arguments in baseball. Well, when there's something to argue about, I do too. Right. When, what, what I don't. What I just don't understand about Major League Baseball, if a player like John Lamb, you know, gives up nine runs in two innings and he's sent back to AAA, it's because he's not performing. Well, what about the umpires that don't perform? Why aren't they penalized? Why aren't they sent back to the minor leagues to brush up on their strike zone or brush up on their uh, the, the way they interface with players? These guys are giving given a. Uh, just a carte blanche to do anything they want with no repercussions. I, I, I have played in games, uh, playing in the men's senior baseball league and playing in the dream weeks and, 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 and touring teams and all that stuff where we, we play, we have umpires from triple A and double A that come in and do our games. And some guys are really good and, and they, you can, if you think they miss a call, you can, hey, was that high? Did I, would you call that on a, a third strike or, or you know, and they'll talk to you. Other guys have this chip on their shoulder. You can't say a word to them as if they're God. And when they when they miss a call and then somebody gets thrown out, they think they're the star of the show. And that's what drives me nuts. It's not that a human being can't make a mistake behind the plate or on the bases or whatever. You can. But it's the attitude of the umpires that I think drives players nuts. And some of the, the best umpires are the guys who let the, the players vent. They just struck out with the bases loaded. They're ticked off. Sure. They think I missed the call. Okay, I, I'd let them have their say. Now, it can it can go overboard. And you give them a warning. Say, okay, that's enough. You, you've had your say. Now go back to the dugout. But some of these umpires, you, you just look at them crossways, and they get all huffy, and then they'll purposely – call you out on the next pitch it's two feet outside it, that's what just it makes me so angry that major league baseball lets them get away with it well they've let joe west get away with that for years oh, of course they he's did. been one of, he's of been one did. of the biggest biggest problems and, and two umpires that i've always said instant replay saved their jobs was angel hernandez and cv buckner those two guys are are joe west hernandez buckner are three of the worst umpires in Major League Baseball. But, you know, the other night, Mark, it was two weeks ago, it was on a, a Monday evening, I believe it was a Monday night, it was the last time that the, the Indians were in Detroit. Miguel Cabrera hit a foul ball off of his left shin. It, the, the, he swung at the pitch, it hit off his left shin, went right, at, he hit it so hard, it went right to the third baseman. Jose Ramirez picked it up and threw Cabrera out at first base. The umpires called it a fair ball. They did not see it. 
hit his shin. None of the four umpires saw it. Mark, do you realize that that is a play that you cannot go to instant replay on? That's crazy. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a it's a fair foul situation. You cannot challenge. And how many challenges? Here's another question that I've got on instant replay. How many challenges do you actually get in a ball game? And what's the difference between challenging a call and actually asking the umpires, "Hey, will you go take a look at that?" There, there is a difference between. I think you get two challenges a game. But the umpires have the ability to challenge on their own if they're unsure about a play, and that does not count against the team that is requesting the challenge. Now, they don't have to do it. It's umpire's discretion. Now, all home run calls are automatically uh, reviewed, uh, and if it's even less than, you know, the ball is hit 400 feet over the fence. But uh, any home run is reviewed, and I, I, I think that's the only one that is a guarantee review but I think each team has two reviews and then the, the umpire discretion. And it does, I, I do like the idea that, you know, you can challenge, especially in, in a late innings challenge or even a, a ninth inning challenge, which it could, you know, mean the game or not. I think that's great for baseball. It's a smart thing to do. Uh, but it's, it's the umpires, I think the, the, Behind the plate is a very, very – I umpire, and it's tough. Even at the high school level, it's tough because the ball moves. Every player is a different size. You've got to adjust in your own mind where the zone is. And, and you, do make, you, you do make mistakes. But some of the mistakes at the major league level are so – I mean, a little league umpire you know, wouldn't miss these calls. And these guys are paid big bucks to get it right, and they don't. And that is what what they say that that fifty percent of all the calls that are challenged are overturned. Fifty percent. Fifty percent. Yeah, right. But that means they've missed half the calls. Now, how many times, if they didn't have instant replay, with the with a player going ballistic when he knows he was safe at first base and the and the um missed it, would have been thrown out of the game, maybe suspended. So Major League Baseball deserves credit. They're, they're, they're fixing that. But what's it say about the skill sets of the umpires that are, ma- are missing 50% of the close calls? 50%. Now the, and there are guys most, down in the minor leagues, Mark, that are killing. They would kill to get in the major leagues. But are they going to be any better? That's the point. They probably won't be any better. But what what baseball has not done yet, they've not attacked this strike zone thing, and that is what gets more players thrown out. Is is now you know as a hitter, um, you really see it when a hitter is called out on a, on a third strike, where the ball is clearly out of the strike zone. Now as a hitter. That that made me matter than anything that ever happened. I, I okay, he misses a call at first base. I played first base. I knew if the guy was out or not. Uh, yeah, that happens. It's bang bang. It's it's a step here, half a step here. That can happen. On a strike zone, when it is when I'm a hitter, and the ball is a foot outside, and the umpire calls it a strike, you, you want to take the bat and do something very harmful with it. Uh, <laughs> but now as a pitcher. I- how many times have you seen a pitcher called thrown out of a game because he argues uh, with a with a ball strike? Very, very seldom, because they know they they know when it's a strike or a ball. But I I seldom see pitchers get thrown out of a game. But I see hitters thrown out all the time. Well, I you know I I'm not sure that that K zone is what they call it. Is the way to go because I've I've watched some of these and and there are there are pitches Mark that you swear are a strike that that K zone says is a ball and there's no way you know for example a sweeping curveball starts out on the right hand side of the plate and breaks and the catcher catches it on the left hand side of the plate that thing had to break across the plate for a strike yeah but the tech the technology that they have in mind for that has not really been put into force and effect. What I saw, um, and it's, it's on the internet, and I forgot where I saw it now, that home plate itself would be a sensor, and that way, when something crosses over, when the ball crosses over it, they would know specifically if it caught the plate. 
It's not where you catch, where the catcher catches it. Is does the ball cross the plate where a hitter could have hit it? And the other thing is that the lack of aggressiveness by hitters like Joey Votto drives me nuts. The other night, you know, he he strikes out on a ball that was maybe it was close to being a strike on the inside corner, but he he has you know he's choking up like he's got a 31 inch bat now. Swing at the damn ball. If it's going to yeah. be close, swing at it, foul it off, uh, or, or, or drive, pull it into right field. But he takes it, and he's called out. The, the hitters have lost their aggressiveness, and that's part of the problem. There's too many taken strikes. Yeah, it puts too much emphasis on the umpire. I agree with that, and I think that's all because of the Red Sox and the Yankees, Mark. Uh, those two teams have made a science out of fouling pitches off and taking pitches. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and Joey Votto is a good enough hitter that he could foul those pitches off. Uh, it's not that hard to do <laughs> to foul a pitch off. You know, you just yank it. If it's inside, you're hitting left-handed, you just yank it past the first base bag, you know, down the, down the line or in foul territory. So he takes so many strikes uh, because he's too fine, and that takes away the aggressiveness and it leaves it up to the umpire, and then you're going to get tossed because you disagree. And Joey Bovato might be right. It could be just off the plate. But why on a third strike? I can see taking a 1-1 a pitch, uh, you know, you're, you're head on the count, take a pitch, but not with two strikes. Right. Well, you know, the old saying is, with two strikes, anything close, you better be swinging. Yeah, and, and some of these things are, they could go either way. You can see where, you know, it's right on the edge of the black. And why take that pitch, especially with runners on? Mark, the big question this week, especially with the All-Star game going on and David Ortiz announcing his retirement at the end of the year and taking his final bows around baseball, is with the year that he's having, should he actually quit? I'm going to start out this segment by asking you, do you think he should come back or just call it a career? I'd come back. If I was having the kind of year he's having, why would you leave that kind of talent, uh, you know, back home on your on your on your porch? Uh, he'll regret it if he leaves too soon. He really will. Uh, you, you, if you leave too late, it's time to go. You'll, you'll know it. Okay, I should have quit last year. But you leave too soon, and you're always going to wonder. You know, how much more could I put up there? And, you know, if he were to play another year or two and even have, you know, half the year he's having now, and he could DH forever. Uh, he could hit for a long time. He could put up some incredible numbers, career numbers. Uh, he's, he's, I think he's Hall of Fame material, although I was interested to say, see that Pete Rose did not think he was. He did not think he was Hall of Famer, or at least if he, if he was, he was marginal. I was going to bring that up. What did you think of Pete's statements? You know, one thing about Pete, uh, he's not political. He'll say what is on his mind. That's his opinion. And I do appreciate that this guy has seen, you know, every hitter from Ted Williams to what we have right now. So if, you know, who am I to disagree with Pete Rose? If that's what he thinks, that's what he thinks. He's entitled to his opinion. But I, I've never thought that he, that Ortiz – I don't know. He didn't strike me as a Hall of Famer. His numbers are certainly put him into discussion. But does he, you know, he's, a, he's been a designated hitter for a number of years. That always skews it negatively, in my opinion. Uh, so um, some of these guys who are in the Hall of Fame were great defensive players, too. And uh, that's what uh, he's not. Is he a... Because of playing for Boston and ESPN being in Connecticut, and of course Boston and the Yankees, they get a lot of pull out of ESPN. Is he more of a, you know, if he if if Ortiz would have played Mark without an ESPN around, let's say back in the seventies, and put up the same numbers, would anybody be even talking about him? Oh sure, I mean, I, I, if with he's had some huge, huge years for Boston where he clearly was the guy. I mean, he, he had some huge uh, some huge years, and so in, in that regard, yeah, I think um, he's had some great years that would get him noticed no matter when he played. Uh, 
But in terms of is he a Hall of Famer, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? No, he's not. He's not one of those guys. But is he a Hall of Famer? I would think he is. Uh, he was hitting 327, 22 home runs, 72 RBIs. Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's a pretty good year. So, um, and I think, you know, the thing is, Dave, if, if they make it to the World Series, and they could, um, that that's a pretty interesting um, feather in his cap. And I, well, he's 40 this year, I believe. And, um, yes. Uh, he may be having trying to think what other 40-year-old would have had a, as good a year as he's had. So he, he's finishing on a high note, and um, it says here, entering Monday, Ortiz led the league with OP, uh, 421 OPB, uh, OBP, slugging percentage, and OPS 1,085, 34 doubles. Um, that's pretty, it's pretty interesting. But, uh, of course, he's just DHing. He's not playing in the field. But, you know, he could he could play for another couple of years as a DH. Well, he did say that one of the major reasons that he's quitting is because of the travel. He's tired of the yeah. travel, and, and it's his feet. His feet are the ones that take the biggest uh, beating with going through the, the airports and the, the stadiums and everything else, and he just said he, he doesn't think his body can handle it anymore. Interesting comparison of Ted Williams' 40-year-old year when he was with uh, Boston in 1960. Remember the last year? Uh, and he hit 316 with 15 doubles and 29 home runs. Uh, Ortiz is hitting 327 with 34 doubles and 22 homers. So he's <laughs> arguably having the greatest year, at least in the Boston Red Sox history, for a 40-year-old. But Ortiz you know, the is having would... he's had a great career. He's a good guy. Uh, Pete's comments just said that I don't think he's a first ballot guy, and uh, you know he can't be compared to Hank Aaron or Willie Mays or some of those guys, and that's probably true. You know, the question about Ortiz is: if he does decide to come back, does he have to give away all the retirement gifts? <laughs> I don't think he'll you know. come back. I think I think he's uh, that ship has sailed, and uh, I hope he doesn't come back because I think Boston would trade for Joey Votto. Well, and what about the comments that he made during the All-Star break that a good person to replace him in Boston would be Enwood Encarnacion out of Toronto? And Major League Baseball came down on him because players are not allowed to talk about other players on other teams as being good additions. What are they going to do? What are they going to do about it? (laughs) They're going to suspend him or fire him? him? No. No, they wouldn't do that. He can say what he wants. Mark, the, the Reds and the Indians are in the middle of nine-game stands, but in different areas. The Reds are in the middle of a nine-game homestand, while the Indians are in the middle of a nine-game road trip because of the Republican National Convention going on in Cleveland. The Indians, for the rest of this week, they'll be in Kansas City. And this series, Mark, it could be a big one for the Indians, because if they could win two out of three against Kansas City, Boy, that's going to bury these guys. But if they go into Kansas City like they did the last time and lose three or four in a row, they've got a three-game trip there now, but the last time they were there, they lost four in a row. It could put Kansas City right back in the race. They're eight games out right now. Yeah, I, you know, Kansas City last year, uh, that was an aberration in my opinion. They were a very good team. I didn't see them as a team that was going to be, you know, hanging – three or four world championships back-to-back. So I think the Indians are better than them, and I think they're, they're going to do very they're very well. Uh, the Reds have the Braves coming in tonight, and then the Diamondbacks at the, over the weekend, which I'm going to see a couple of those games, by the way. So uh, they, they have a chance to win a few games, but then they got the Giants and the Padres coming in, and things don't get better in, in, uh, in August for the Reds. Well, we'll talk about it all again next Monday night. Have a good week, Mark. Yep, you too. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Glad to have you along with us on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show, but our thanks most of all go out to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell for this Monday evening. Join us again next Monday night at 9 for another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, good night. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. 
Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber and the nuke. 